heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger than life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and I today I have the pleasure of having Nate Jensen on the line. Nate, are you there? I am here. Awesome. So glad to have you here, Nate. I know we were talking before. You're calling in from Utah in the middle of our yearly blizzard here in the U.S. How's it going for you? You know, not as bad as in the East. We've been reading the stories. We got a light snow. We can still drive. We can still... My son's out shoveling the walks right now, actually. So You didn't get the 50 inches of snow that Buffalo got? They had to shut down the whole city or whatever? No, no. We could use it. Utah needs the water, but I don't know if I want it that badly yet. Yeah, I was like, we're in Florida right now. And, you know, I was hoping to skip winter this year by staying in Florida. And it still got cold here. My pipes froze the other day. And I was like, well, dang it. <laughs> that is crazy. Crazy yeah, so in Florida. It's definitely cold. So what I want to do before we get too far into this is talk a little bit about who you are, and then we'll get into your story. So I have your bio here. Nate Jensen has driven profitability for small businesses over the last decade and a half by helping companies understand the numbers that drive their success by giving clients clear insight into their metrics that drive performance. They can see what actions they can take to immediately improve their profits and cash flow. So here's my question. Are you, and maybe I don't, you'll talk about this. Are you talking like marketing KPIs, financial KPIs, all of the above? Like where is your expertise there in numbers? So I'm first and foremost, a management accountant. I actually graduated from college. I got a bachelor's degree in marketing and I sucked at it. I was not good in that space at all. I couldn't find a good job. And I sort of stumbled into accounting. And so when I went back, I started doing some bookkeeping just because I happened to know how to use QuickBooks. And one of the guys who hired me, one of my first jobs as a bookkeeper, he realized very quickly that I had no clue when it came to accounting. And so he offered to pay for me to go take an accounting class at the community college. And I said, that sounds great. And I went and I took a class called cost accounting. And I also took managerial accounting at the same time. So I took two classes. And every day I would come back to work having been to that class. And I'm like, I had no idea you could do this with accounting. And I was like, I was energized. I'm like, there's so much information here, right? And so for me, anyway, that's kind of where it started. I went deeper and deeper into accounting, obviously. But for me, if you know your numbers, and you know the actions that those numbers tell you you should take, business is, becomes a very simple science, right? It's just, here's the number, here's the action, we just move forward. And so it may relate to marketing, it may relate to staffing and labor, it may relate to sales, it may relate to any part of the business. For me, it's all in the numbers somewhere, and that's going to tell us what we need to do. That's amazing. So what I want to start off with is what is it that you're known for today, right? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Well, 
so I, I actually sold my, my last business in August. At that time, it was a outsourced controller business. We would be the, the accounting department, day-to-day accounting for our clients. And part of that was a need, right? Like the clients, they needed their books kept, they needed their payroll run and things like that. But a lot of them opted to add on our CFO services as well. And that, for me, that's really where business gets exciting because a bookkeeper is kind of a necessary cost, right? You have to record stuff. You have to get those day-to-day things done. But you have the option of having a CFO or you know, spending some money to improve your profitability. And for the people who did that, it's so exciting for me to be able to go in and tell someone, hey, based on this, you need to make this change and this change and then see them do it. You make those changes and then they're making more money. It's very gratifying. Yeah. I'm actually currently looking at an M&A right now that we're, we're looking to take over. Um, and I oh, feel yeah? like my, my first goal is to figure out how to make the company more profitable. And I was like, I've been looking at like, I think the first thing that I need to do is hire. And I don't know if the, what the right term is, but someone uh-huh. who knows how to do what you're talking about. Look at the numbers yeah. and say like, how do we make this company more profitable than it is. Uh, yeah. And I was like, I, cause I, I have the feeling just from looking at all the numbers that we could probably double the profitability of the company and not change a whole lot. I don't know if that's true. Well, yeah. Yeah. No, anytime there's an M and a going on, there's almost guaranteed to be redundancies. Right. And so if you can, in fact, I was involved in a merger, actually it was an acquisition two and a half, three years ago, somewhere around there. And there are two companies, two marketing companies, they completely shut down one of the offices in terms of like all the facilities, right? The rent, the utilities over there because they just didn't need the space. And so that's kind of low hanging fruit, right? There's going to be things that are obvious. I, I like to, well, and I'll obviously point those out, but I like to focus on just what is your, the day-to-day stuff? You don't have to have a big transaction like a merger to be able to look at your numbers and say, okay, I've been running this business for three years. We're at this level. Why have I not become more profitable? You've seen this, Richard, is there are a lot of companies who will double their revenue and not move their profit at all, right? And for me, I like going into a company like that. They're like, we're growing and growing, but nothing's really changing. And finding those efficiencies in the numbers to say, here's why you're growing, but you're not making any more money. And often you're working twice as hard. Yeah. So there's a lot to learn on the financial side of growing a business. Entrepreneurs like myself, we don't tend to learn the accounting and the numbers. We tend to learn the marketing and the direct response and the hiring of people. Right. And so yeah. you get to a point where you're like, hey, I need to bring in someone who knows how to do the numbers. So. Yeah. And the entrepreneurs are the dreamers and the visionaries who yeah. they have the big ideas. Yeah, the big ideas. And we need to have people like you who come in and be like, hey, here, let's look at the actual data. I'm like, oh, that's a good thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I want to talk about your origin story, like how you got into the space of doing, you know, a fractional CFO work, essentially. Right. And, you know, okay. we talk on show every good comic book hero has an origin story, something that made them into the hero they are today. And we want to hear mm-hmm. that story, you know, by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into CFO or did you, you know, start in a job and eventually become an entrepreneur? Basically, how'd you get here? Yeah, well, I, I wasn't bitten by a radioactive accountant. My, it'd be unpleasant, I imagine. That would be, that certainly would. So let me give you some context first. I'm 45. I got married at 21. 
And at the time that I got married, I had essentially zero college under my belt, right? I had not much of an education beyond high school, but I knew at that age that I wanted to start my own business. And I felt like in doing that, there would be leverage. I felt like there would be the potential for more freedom. And I was just driven to start a business. And so I started a window cleaning business, right? It doesn't take a ton of startup know-how to get going in something like that. But I learned very quickly that knowing how to clean a window is not the same as knowing how to run a business. I hired staff, didn't know much about hiring people, but I knew I needed help. I took on some debt. I didn't know anything about finance at the time. And I just knew I needed some money to make payroll, things like that. And within a couple of years, I found I was upside down. I was unhappy. I was just overwhelmed with the complexity of the whole thing. And as winter was coming on and I didn't want to spend another winter with my hand in a bucket of water, I just decided to walk away. I was, again, I was very upside down, lost a fair bit of money on it. And at the time it was devastating, right? I was 20, 23 or 24, continued going to school. So I'd gotten a little more college, but it was just, you know, it felt like a failure, felt like a loser. I was, you know, I lost any financial head start that I may have had when my wife and I got married, you know, I took that money, used it in my business and it was gone. And so we were starting, kind of starting over. And I felt like, oh, I've wasted this time. I've wasted this money. And I felt deep down that I was never going to be able to climb out of that place, right? That I, I was never going to have the success that I wanted because I'd hamstring myself so badly on that first experience. Well, went back, got a job, right? Works for multiple companies, just trying to make ends meet. Started another company. It wasn't too many months before that one went into the ground as well. And I started with a lot more debt in that one. So I was even further behind. And this would keep me up at night, right? So I'm in my late 20s. In fact, Richard, if I can share with you a little point for me, I was 28 years old. And I don't know if it was me or the job market at the time or what, but I couldn't find a job. I ended up taking a paper route at 28 years old. And I remember thinking, okay, I had the same job when I was 12. What am I doing wrong? Right. And so if you can imagine kind of that pit of despair where it's like, I just destined to, you know, be a failure, kind of be at this professional point my whole life. Well, anyway, I I went to school, got my bachelor's. Like I said, I was, I got my bachelor's in marketing. Couldn't find a job and even in marketing, even having a bachelor's degree that would pay me anything. And then my father-in-law owned a business and he asked me if I knew how to use QuickBooks. And I said, yeah, I do a little bit. And so he hired me part-time to do his bookkeeping. And at that time I said, well, as long as I'm doing this part-time, let me see if there's somebody else that needs a part-time bookkeeper. Lo and behold, there's a lot of people that need bookkeepers because there are not a lot of people that like to do bookkeeping. And so I picked up another job and that was the guy who paid for me to go back to school. And once I went back to school, I fell in love with those classes. Like again, the managerial accounting and the cost accounting and just the insight, the decision-making information that those, you know, those accounting principles could give a business owner. And I knew very well because those are the principles that I had lacked when I'd started my first two businesses. And if I'd had those skills, I may have, you know, the story may have been different, but anyway, I went and I got my CMA certified management accountants, went back to school, got my master's in forensic accounting, 
And when I graduated with my master's, I was, I thought I was going to graduate and be like, hey, I'm going to become a kind of a fraud investigator. That was sort of where my degree was pointing me. But I had started freelancing while I was getting my master's and I had this bookkeeping business already built up. And I'm like, well, I have this business. Why am I going to like walk away from this to try and start something new? So I stayed with that business. A few years later, I sold it. Then about a year after that, I started another one, which was bookkeeping, controllership, CFO. And that's really where I've been ever since. And I just, you know, bookkeeping, like I said, it's kind of that necessary. I don't, I don't know if I want to say it's a necessary evil, but it's necessary for businesses. Controllership's a necessary thing. But I really love when I'm able to get in that CFO space and say, look, change this, change this, change this. And boom, you're making money and you have cash in the bank. And to see business owners go through that transition when they suddenly feel that weight come off their shoulders, like, oh my gosh, I am a successful entrepreneur now. I wish I'd had somebody like that when I was you know, 21, 22, who'd said, hey, all you got to do is change this and this and you'll be successful. That's a wonderful story. It reminds me of something I was listening to, a book by Robert Kiyosaki. So I think it's called Who Took My Money? And he talks about the oh, yeah. of your working life. And, you know, he's like quarter one is, you know, from 20 to 30, quarter two is 30 to 40, quarter three is 30 to 40. And um, or it's like, I mean, he might be doing it for like 45, but like quarter four is like from 45 to 60 or something like that. Yeah. Quarter four. And he's like, and it, so it strikes me as like you went through like the first quarter of your working life, like getting pounded by the other team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. But it doesn't. Yes, I were doesn't have to end there, right? Like you still have the second quarter and the third quarter and the fourth quarter to recoup and make a comeback and really figure out how to get your financial life order and take the lessons you learned in the first quarter and, and change it. And it sounds like you, you did that and you made the oh, changes yeah. and you picked up the skills and came back fighting. Yeah. And I, I, I tell you, Richard, there, there seriously was a point where I was resigned to being just like, okay, I'm going to have the 40 hour a week job making, you know, at best, lower middle class income. That's just who I am. And it was sometime after I failed my first business. And I don't remember how long that lasted, but it was, you know, I had to get through the pain, get through the emotional side of things a little bit until I was finally able to say, you know what? No, I think I can do this and go back and try it again. And the great thing is, in that first mindset that I was in, right, is I didn't have the context that I have now 20 years later, 25 years later. There's so much leverage in business that, yeah, you can go and totally blow your first business or two like I did. But if you have one that's really successful, it'll make up for it. And that's what I found on my third business, right? I sold my third one for more than I lost on my first two combined. So by my third one, I was ahead of the game. And then it just gets better from there. Yeah. I was like, you can fail a lot in business and once. <laughs> you're fine. Right? You're fine. All you gotta do is win. It's one of those that consistent effort pays in the entrepreneurship because you're exactly right. When you win, you can, for lack of a better term, you can win for good. Yeah. No, that's really right. And then when you win for good, the foundation that you're on at that point is an amazing place to start the next thing or, you know, do whatever else is next in your life. You can take bigger risks, right? And try harder things. there's a reason why people like Elon Musk are starting businesses and buying businesses and doing things, you know, he won for good a long time ago. Yes. Right? <laughs> I'm kidding. 
Right. And so yep. you can spend $40 billion on Twitter or start, you know, open AI or invest in, you know, what is it? Neuralink, right? He can do those kind of things because he's got one, yeah. right? He's one for good yeah. for his world. But that's the kind of thing that I was like, I just use him because he's a big example that people know, but that happens all the time in business. Yep. People, you know, try a couple of things, fail. I failed the first couple of things I did too, right? Yeah, I think most of us do. Yeah. Yeah, so, but the thing yeah. is, it's not just about like getting to a secure financial place so you can then start your next business, I think. It's getting to a good financial place so then you can do what speaks to you. You know, I, so for example, I could go and start another bookkeeping business, but I don't love that piece of it anymore. I do love the CFO piece, the advisory piece. And so that's where I'm focusing because just because I can, that's what I wanted to do. You're like, you know what I want to do? I want to be fractional CFO for businesses that I enjoy working with, that I want to see their value yeah. survive. And if they had a CFO, they could, and they could thrive, yeah. right? That's the message. And in the service business, Richard, an advisory kind of business. The best thing is being able to say, no, I don't want to work with this client. Yeah. Right. When you're starting new and you don't have much to stand on, you take anybody and you extend terms and you do whatever you have to do to get the business in the door and to be able to say, you know what? I just don't feel like this is a good fit. I don't think we're going to work well together. I think, you know, maybe here's even two or three other people you could work with besides me. I think you should try them. That is the most liberating thing of all. Absolutely. I run a full service podcasting agency, right? So we do content marketing and help people really get their message out and build strategic influence, which is super fun. Yeah. And I have a rule that if people don't say, shut up and take my money, that I don't work with them. Because <laughs> like, that's the way I want my relationships to be, right? I want to be at that level where they're like, yep, that's amazing. That's exactly what I need in my business. Yeah. If that's not what they want, then we're not a good fit. Right? Perfect example. There's plenty of business yeah. and for the people that we're a great fit for, we're a great fit for. And I want it to, the relationship to be that kind of relationship. You can choose that. Yeah. And then you do business for a long time and it's a profitable relationship for both parties. You're not like worried the client's going to go away because you're not providing what they need. You are what they need. Yeah. Because when you tell them, it's like, hey, the problem we solve and here's how we solve it. And they go, yep, shut up, take my money. You're like, oh, it's a good place to be yeah. in. Right. And I remember, yep. you know, 15 years ago being in that spot where I was like, people would be like, can you do this? And I'd be like, maybe, right. I can learn. I can figure it out. I can figure if, it out. If it means yes, then I'll figure it out. Absolutely. It's a much different place to be in than we're at now. So yeah. And a lot of that comes from, well, failing a lot. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and that's the thing is you've got to be, you know, you've got to be willing to put yourself out there and take the risk. And sometimes the only thing you're risking is your own pride or ego. But if you can stick with it and persevere and get through those hard things and those hard experiences, I think as long as you keep going, you're going to make it. My, yeah. one of my favorite books is Think and Grow Rich. Yeah. And he's got what, 11 chapters or 13 chapters or something where each one he explains the principle of getting rich. And I can boil that book down into kind of one idea in that you just, you become obsessed with whatever it is, right? Whether it's you know, success in your business or in finding money some other way is you think about it a lot and you keep going and you keep going, you keep thinking about it and you, you talk about it. And as long, like, if it's always top of mind and it's always what you're driving towards, you're going to find a way it's going to, you know, might be hard. You might fail sometimes, but if you just keep at it, you will get there. Yeah. It's the whole concept of just like success really is about not giving up. And it's like, I yeah. wish it was more complicated than that, but it's really not. 
Right. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? It's like easy, right? It's it just don't give up. Yeah. Keep going, right? Just keep going. Like maybe at some point you need to lay down and lick your wounds and take a paper route for a bit. But and I didn't do that for very long. But uh, it was a very humbling experience for me, for sure. Yeah. I was like, I did something similar. Mine was a different, I took a different route, but I realized that I was not a great business owner. Um, I was a marketing agency. We were doing good work. I was getting good results for my clients. But yeah. what I was doing a good job of is running a business. Right? Oh, yeah. And I didn't know how to do the finances. And I didn't know how to do the delegation. And I didn't know how to do both the service delivery and the marketing at the same time. So I would like do marketing until I got a client and then stop the marketing. And then that client would be finished their contract and I'd go back to marketing. So I was bad at the business part. Yeah. <laughs> but it's good at the delivery yeah. of services part. And I realized I was like, I need to learn how to run a business. So mm-hmm. I sh- shut my business down and I took my skill set and I went and I applied that whole skill set to getting a C-level marketing director position where I had $100,000 a month of marketing budget to play with. And yeah. I was direct reporting to the president of the company and sitting on the C-level executive table with a bunch of other really successful people. And I spent 18 months with them just learning how they run a business. And it was Very clear nice. about that with them. I was like, I'm coming here to one, knock your socks up with my marketing skills, but also like, I make no bones about it. I'm learning from you how you run a business because I don't know how. And I spent 18 months with them and 10x their lead flow on the marketing side because that's my skill set. And then, you know, every week I sat down with the president of the company and learned why he makes decisions he does with hiring and firing and how he talks to the other people in his team and how he gets them to do the things that he wants and how he delegates and why they delegate and all those kind of things. And that was what I got that education for is what I was going for is how to run a business. And, mm-hmm. you know, after I got that skill set from it, turned around and left and started my business again and had significantly more success because I had a right. different skill now. You do have to do <laughs> stuff, right? Yeah. You know, know, one of the great opportunities that I had is having worked with so many clients is I have learned so much. I watched, you know, over 50 people run a business. Mm-hmm. Some of them were amazing at it. Some of them were terrible at it. And it's so great to see the different examples, to be able to compare and just kind of, you know, not judge or critique, but just kind of silently take notes like and be like, okay, I want to be that guy. Yeah, right. I don't want to be like that guy. Why in the world did he do that? I, that, I, that was a bad outcome. I'm glad it's his money, not mine. But yeah, so to be able to see business after business after business, this last company I sold actually, about half our clientele were marketing companies. That was one of our focuses. And it was great to focus in a specific vertical like that because we could, we knew the industry metrics and we knew, hey, what's working for this guy? You should try it in your business, right? Here's how they're finding people or handling this problem. So anyway, I kind of got off on a tangent there, but it's, as you were saying, you've got to learn the skills. You've got to know stuff. And watching other people and learning from other people is probably the best way to do that. Yeah, I said, there's two ways you can learn things, right? You can either stick your hand on the fire and learn that it's hot, or you can watch your brother stick his hand on the fire and learn that it's hot from him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yep. like, you can get the lesson both ways. One of them is more painful than the other. Might stick longer though. It might stick, yeah. Well, the memories I have from failing my first business are so burned into my mind. I'll be honest, if you asked me, hey, would you go back and change it? You know, change what you did. I don't know if I would because I learned so much. Yeah. It was so painful and I wouldn't want to do it again, but 
the failure truly. What? Well, you wouldn't change it if you had the opportunity. I don't think I would. Yeah. So it was painful, to, but yeah. What I want to talk about next is the superpowers that you might have developed over the course mm. of your career, right? So every iconic hero has a superpower, whether that's their fancy flying suit made by their genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky or, you know, super strength. The real world heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with mm -hmm. or that you developed over time that energize all your other skills, right? And this superpower is what sets you apart, allows you to help your people slay their villains, come on top of their journeys. And the way that I like to frame it is if you look at all the skills that you've developed over the course of your career, there's probably a common thread that you see coming up time and time again that are tying all those skills together that sort of energize everything else. What do mm -hmm. you think with that framing your superpower is? So I've got two. One, the first one is, I'm bringing this up first because it's what I do now. It's what I, I guess I don't want people to, you know, have people stick in people's minds. And that is, how do I look at a number or a group of numbers or whatever and get from that an action that should be taken to make a business more profitable or better have better cash flow? And, and it's that simple. It's just, what are the numbers telling me to do? And from, for me to be able to interpret that is, I guess that's, that's my first superpower. And I'll give you an example. When I sold my business and I was training the new team on how I did things, the, one of the key people taking over my position and who, you know, she'd meet regularly with the clients and say, here's what we're seeing in your numbers and here's what you should do about it and so forth. She had been in accounting for, I want to say about 10 years, mostly in tax. And the need that she had to keep coming back to me to say, okay, now here's what I'm seeing but I don't know what to tell them to do. How do I get them? You know, what do they do from here? And then I'd say, okay, well, here's the next level. Here's the next thing. So it was really in that, the sale, selling of that business, that process that I learned that not everybody can do that. I guess. Yeah. Or that yeah, it's not a powerful skill. Like I've, I've been in it so long. It, it's obvious to me. Right. But to other people, they, they really need to think about it. They really need to understand it and maybe hear it again or again. Anyway, second thing, second superpower is bookkeeping processes. I'm very good at understanding what we're collecting the data for in the first place, right? Because I'm always thinking about the reporting piece and how do we set up a system and not just get a good person, but how do we actually set up a system so the bookkeeping is done efficiently and it's timely and it's correct and it's easy to take the data from QuickBooks or wherever and report on those. So we're not like... We're not having to take an entire month to close a month and then analyzing the data and then trying to figure out what we should have done two months ago to be profitable. I'm, you know, I'm setting up bookkeeping systems so that we can make decisions now. Hey, we know what's happening next month, not just what happened last month. And we know specifically what needs to be changed. So developing a bookkeeping process to get to that data for me is 95% of the battle. And so I've gotten really good at creating those kinds of systems. That's really interesting. I, I like I like the first one where you're talking about like it's it's a skill set you developed in accounting. So so th and that, that's interesting. But I think the second one is actually a more potent skill. And I'll tell you the reason why. And the reason why is I think as a CEO, the most mm -hmm. one of the most important C level like CEO level jobs is understanding the systems behind the business. Right, and build the systems. And if you can build the systems and build the documentation, build the teams and everything that build the systems, the systems are what run the business. That's what separates a small B business from a big B business. Yeah. Is 
the systems. And a lot of people, they don't understand the power that sort of comes from knowing how to build a system, whether it's your bookkeeping systems, your marketing systems, your employment systems. And that, I think it's such a unique skill. And not a lot of people realize either that they have it or how to develop it or how you get someone in that can help you build those systems. But it's such an of actually growing a company. Yeah. So for most people, we call them you know, systems or processes. In accounting, there's actually a specific term for it. We call it internal controls. And an internal control is something you set up that says, this is how we do the work, right? It's done, you know, it's in a policy and procedures manual, or it's in a software that requires it to be done a certain way. You've got to have those controls. Because even with good people, if you get to the point, just as an example, where you have two accountants in your office, you know, maybe a bookkeeper and a controller, and if they're both great at their jobs, but both have wildly different ideas of how things should be categorized, for example, your accounting is going to be, it's going to be a mess because as you try to analyze it, the categories just won't line up. And so, yeah, you've got to have, I believe you've got to have good people, especially in a skilled profession like accounting, you've got to have people who know accounting, but good people without a system aren't much better than a good system without good people. You've got to have both. Yeah, absolutely. So I like both of those as superpowers, but systems building is, man, it's such an underlooked and misunderstood uh, skill set and superpower. Yeah, and I don't know how to build a business without those systems. I'll tell you what we use. It was very simple. We used multiple software products, but we use one called Asana, which is like a project management system. Yep. And it was essentially just a really robust to-do list, right? So when you're keeping somebody's books, you want to make sure they're reconciled frequently, especially smaller businesses that are always worried about cash. You've got to know exactly where they stand. And so something that just says, hey, every Monday, reconcile this account. Every other week, run payroll. Every other, you know, on the alternating weeks, maybe you run accounts payable and so forth. I don't know how you do it without them. We, we use ClickUp, yeah. similar thing to Asana, to run our yeah. podcast agency. And it's like, you know, new episode comes in and it creates a task and, you know, it gets assigned to the right person. And each episode has a whole subset of all the things that need to you know, need to happen to it, including customer communication and guest communications and, you know, the video editors work and the audio editors work and the transcribers work and the written editors work and the graphic guys work. All of it is just psh, all listed and put together and like when it needs to happen and how it needs to happen and communication all happens in one place. I don't know how you do yeah. it without the systems because otherwise no. you can be able to scale. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's scalability. You cannot grow past a certain point if it's all reliant on the business owner to make sure everything's happening right. I call it the, it might be morbid, but it's the bus test. <laughs> How does the business grow if I get hit by a bus tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. And I don't necessarily have to die from getting hit by the bus, but like if I spend a few months in the hospital, will I come back to a business that's still growing and thriving or not? And yeah. that's where I'm looking at, you know, my business still doesn't pass the bus test. I'm working on yeah. it. But well, but let's. I need to put in place. Sure. But. And it doesn't have to be a bus, right? It's if you ever want to sell your business, if you ever want to retire, if you ever want to step into a, a less involved role, the only way to do that is with building good systems. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I know if you're selling the business, they have something they call, what they call, I think it's called the golden handcuffs. It's like you get uh -huh. this, but you're still stuck because you have to help a new business owner run the business because you don't yeah. have any systems in place. You have to teach them all the systems. Oh, yeah. You have to like download mm -hmm. yourself to them. 
Um, so you're spending right. six months to a year, two years, maybe even three years on contract to fulfill the sale, which is pretty typical in a merger and acquisition where the business is so tied up into the owner's actual work systems in place. Right. And that's, you know, what I think that there's no way to win there because if you help them grow the business, you're sitting there for three years thinking those profits could have been mine. And if they just sort of stay stagnant, I'm sure it's not a very pleasant situation to be in either. Yeah, it's like a no win. So like build systems because yeah. if you ever want to sell your business, it's going to be fun. Sure. So yeah, absolutely. The flip side of your superpower, right? So if your superpower is the building the systems and knowing what to do in the accounting world, the flip side of that is, you know, every, every superman has their kryptonite. Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. You probably have a flaw that's held you back in your business, something you struggled with. For me, it was a couple of things. I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, right? Where I was like, if it's not perfect, I can't go to market with it. And so it kept me from shipping, right? It kept me from actually getting things to market. I also struggled with lack of self-care, which mostly brought itself out in my relationship to time and boundaries with clients where I was like, you know, maybe I'll do better work if I work 90 hours a week instead of, you know, 40. Learned out that's not a great way to run your business either. But I say, I think more important than the flaw is how have you worked to overcome it so you could continue to grow and continue to grow your business? And hopefully sharing a little bit of that would help our listeners learn from your experience. I think, gosh, I could probably give you a lot of things that I'm not going to ask. One of the things I struggled specifically, though, as a business owner was just my pride. I, in my first business, I wanted to prove to the world that I was smart enough and good enough and I did this all on my own. And there were times where I deliberately didn't ask for help because I wanted to be able to say, I'm self-made, right? And that didn't work out very well. And what I've done to overcome that is one, first I recognize that good business owners always have advisors, other people who help them, people who, I mean, nobody, nobody knows everything. And so if I'm an accountant and I want to do some marketing, I should hire a marketing company rather than learn how to post ads on Facebook myself, right? If someone's marketing person, they should hire someone like me instead of trying to learn how to analyze all their numbers on their own. And so just for me, just being willing to ask for other people for help and recognize and be, you know, admit that I have weaknesses is kind of the first thing. Second one is when I tell people I'm an accountant, most people think tax right away. I don't do tax. I've never done tax. I never want to do tax. For uh, There's a couple of reasons for that maybe, but one is tax is very law-based, right? The IRS or state tax commission can, you know, the laws may change and they've got to enforce laws differently from year to year. We see new tax laws all the time. The kind of accounting that I do is principles-based and those principles don't change. So profitability by client, profitability by sales channel or by department, break-even metric, cost, volume, profit analysis, these things, they're principles that just exist. And they, they say, here's what you need to do to make more money business. And so I'm able to focus on those things, but because I'm very focused on those things, people want to ask me a tax question. Hey, can I deduct this? Or should we do this other thing to you know, save on taxes? I have no idea. I'm not the guy you want to talk to about that. And I guess I shore that up by using a CPA. I have CPA do my own taxes. Yeah, that's interesting. I really like where you're going with the, the first flaw you mentioned, the being self-made. Um, yeah. It's interesting because I think, and I don't know how we change this, but there's this cultural perception that there's something uniquely powerful about being self-made. 
which is weird because it's not true. And I think if we were going to have pride about something, we might want to see if we could shift the cultural narrative to being I'm community made, right? Because that's mm-hmm. what power is. And I don't know why we have that view that maybe we should be self-made. That should be our goal. I'm like, it, one, it's not any fun to be self-made and you're not going to get no, as being self-made. It's verging on traumatizing. And I was like, but when you're community made, it's fun and you can be profitable and it's less stressful. And, you know, the whole rising tide raises all ships kind of thing, like, Community made is much better than self-made. You know what? I've, this is one thing that most people don't understand when they either decide to become an entrepreneur or look at someone else who is an entrepreneur is they don't understand how lonely it often is. And so, you know, I've joined networking groups and things like that just to have a community of people who understand kind of what I'm going through when I'm having trouble at work. You know, generally your employees don't sympathize with you if you're having a bad day. You're always going to sort of be the filthy rich business owner who doesn't care about people or something. So, but yeah, definitely if you can build with a community, your advisors celebrate when you do well, right? Your other colleagues, your peers celebrate when you do well. To try and do it on your own, it's harder, it's lonelier, and it honestly doesn't pay as well. So yeah, use a mastermind group. Mastermind, be community made. My man, getting into a mastermind group was one of the best decisions I made in my business. Um, it was, yeah. And I like, I can't even tell you how much of a difference that's made. Actually, I can't. Yeah. It's at least six X at this point. At least <laughs> six X. <laughs> at least six X, and it's going to get wow. bigger and better. And a lot of the decisions and the things that we do, I can attribute directly back to specific conversations and things we've talked about in that mastermind group. So, anyways, that's oh. a plug for you know getting into a community of some sort in your business. Yeah, absolutely. So, and the other side of that, the other weakness you're talking about, people miscategorizing you as being a tax person. And I think that's, it's an interesting problem because a lot of businesses run into that where people don't understand exactly what it is that you do. And that's actually what we do with our podcasting agency is help people really get their message across, right? And Mm -hmm. educate the market on the things. And I was like, you said a whole bunch of things that are all terms that I was like, oh man, I want to know what those mean. Right, where you said break even point and cost. I can't even know what they were, but you said all of them it like very quickly. Yeah. Cost like, volume profit analysis. I was yeah. like, I don't know what a cost volume profit analysis is, but I want to know what a cost volume profit analysis is and how I should be doing them on my business and who I should hire to do them. Like, if you don't have a podcast talking about that stuff, you should. There's my shameless plug for the day. You know what? I don't know that talking about accounting on a podcast is going to do super maybe more of a visual thing. But the principles, that could be yeah. really interesting. I was like, the only reason I was just thinking that is because I, like, I don't know those things. I don't even have a framework for what is a cost volume profit analysis. And I would love to know well, those things. Let me answer that. This is probably a tangent. Let me answer that real quick. Cost volume profit analysis is just something that lets us te- sort of tweak and say, what happens if we make certain changes in our business? And those changes would be things like raising our price or reducing our price. And if you do that, how does that affect sales, right? Do our sales go up if we drop our price? Do they go up enough to improve our bottom line overall? Because you could drop your price and make more sales and still not make as much money, right? So, but it's those kind of, it looks at those plays between the volume of sales, the cost of the product, price of the product, et cetera. um, A supplement company for a number of years. And we were selling, you know, a traditional 
I don't know. Sounds like a, a rule that an accountant would have made up is like, hey, it costs you seven dollars to fully land the product. You should sell it for fourteen dollars, right? Mm -hmm. so double the margins. And so we were yeah. selling fourteen dollars. See how it did, and it wasn't doing that great. And so I started playing with what we call in the marketing world price elasticity. What happens if I raise it two bucks? What happens if I raise it two bucks? Does it impact sales? Right? Yeah. And every time I raised the price of the product, our sales went up just a little bit, just marginally. So I kept raising it. And I got to $35 on that product and our sales oh, doubled. Yeah. They doubled. Really? <laughs> it's like, kind oh, of counterintuitive, isn't it? Yeah. So it's an interesting thing. I don't know how that, but it's the kind of thing that would fall under that cost profit analysis. Cost yeah, absolutely. Hey, can I tell you a quick story since you yeah. mentioned a supplement company? So one of my first jobs after I became a certified management accountant was with a supplement company. And they had multiple sales channels. They had retail, they had wholesale, they had a like custom-made bulk product division. And I was still fresh out of my studies and having taken those tests and passing. And I was excited to prove that I knew what I knew. And so I said, I'm going to do an analysis and I'm going to see which sales channels are profitable or most profitable. And his retail sales channel was losing money every month. And I went in and showed them my numbers and showed them my analysis. And I said, if you stop doing this and get rid of the resources associated with it, your profits will go up about $4,000 a month. I'm like, you don't have to sell it off, sell the division or whatever. You just stop, right? Just stop what you're doing. And I was there for about four years. And over those four years, he never would stop doing that. Set, you know, shut down that sales channel because that's the one that his ego was most tired of. He's one of those business owners I learned a lot from, but more about what I didn't want to do or didn't want to be. But anyway, it's, yeah. You, for me, the, those numbers, it gave us a very clear path forward, right? We need to stop what we're doing over here. And they didn't take it. Interesting. Thank you. <laughs> so I want to switch gears and talk about your common enemy, right? So every superhero has what's called an arch nemesis, right? It's a thing that they have to fight yeah, to get. World in the world of business, it takes a lot of forms, but I like to put it in the context of your clients, and it's a mindset or it's a flaw that they have that you have to uh, constantly fight to overcome so that you can actually get them the outcome that they came to you for in the first place. And if you know uh -huh. you have your magic wand and a client signs on the dotted line, and you could just bop them on the head with the magic wand and not have to deal with this arch nemesis, what is that in your world? Gosh, and there's maybe a couple of those too. Um, first thing that comes to mind is. They simply often, and maybe it's before they're a client, but they don't often see the value in having the knowledge that I can provide, right? And maybe that speaks more to my ability to sell what I do rather than their ability to understand it. But too many people, I think, think of any type of accounting as money that we have to spend that we get no value from. It's just, you know, we have to keep our books because it's required by law. We have to, you know, file our taxes. That's required too. We got to pay an account for that. So to come in and say, hey, I'm asking you for even more money out of your accounting bucket, but convince them that there's a return on that investment. It's not a necessary expense or necessary evil. It's actually an investment. There is, you are going to make more money by spending this money in the first place, listening to me and doing what I tell you. Yeah, so that goes right back to what we were talking about before as people associating accounting with tax filing, right? Which is part of that. Tax, thing. Yeah, tax filing or bookkeeping, right? Just like 
hey, we have to pay someone to do this job that doesn't produce any revenue. Yeah, because they don't see it as a revenue producing opportunity or accounting that way. But what's interesting, and this is something that I've been learning as I've been growing in my growing my network, really less growing my business, and more growing my network is the more I get in touch with people who are, you know, significantly further ahead in their careers than I am, the more I've learned that your CFO is one of the most important roles when you want to start breaking through barriers, right? When you oh, yeah. are running into like, what do you call them? Like roadblocks or running into to glass ceilings, so to speak. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, and I've heard this from a number of people who are very successful. They're like, hey, when you run into a, when you run into these glass barriers, it's generally in one of two areas. It's either in marketing. And that's where you start to get into the understanding that like, hey, having a CFO, someone who understands the strategy of money is really a powerful force. Yeah. And you know, there's historically, say prior to the last 20 years, probably the CFO was sort of the bean counter. He's the one that just made sure the numbers are in the right place. The reporting was correct and within the regulatory requirements and so forth. The Institute of Management Accountants, which, you know, issues the CMA designation, they've been very aggressive, I guess, at promoting the CFO as a strategic partner, not just someone who's like tracking the money, but someone who's very involved in the strategy of the business. And I adhere to that, that, you know, take on it very much is the CFO should be involved at the ground level in any major decision in the company. In small businesses, usually what that looks like is, hey, is it, we need to hire somebody. Do we have funds to hire? What happens if we hire somebody and doing some of those you know, forecasting analyses saying, okay, if we hire somebody now at this rate, here's what happens to our profit for the rest of the year. Are we okay with that? Or how can we mitigate maybe some of that expense? Too often, I see business owners make a decision and then go to the accounting department and say, hey, we've decided to do this, just so you know. And then the accounting department's having to figure out, hey, do we have money to pay for it? And if not, then I've got to go back to the owners and say, we're short on cash. What are we going to do about this? Rather than having the CFO involved in the, you know, on the front end of that. Yeah. Which makes more sense in my head, but you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's also that I wonder how much is part of the, uh, as you're growing, right. When you're hiring people and bringing people onto the team, Mm -hmm. the accountant is not the first person you think of as the next person I need to add to my payroll. Right. A lot of times you think I need help service delivery, I need to help with marketing, or I need help with whatever, like, it's not generally I want to increase revenue. As I'm growing, I need to hire an accountant. And yeah. About. <laughs> that, that probably is a common enemy, right? Again, but it goes, it's the same principle, really, is people say, hey, I don't want to spend money on something that's not producing me revenue or producing me, you know, something. And, and so I certainly do have to deal with that. One of the things that I've done for that, though, is when I sold my last business, I was looking ahead and saying, what do I want to do next? And one of the frustrations I had with my last business was we actually had a lot of people who wanted to work with us, but just couldn't afford it, right? A fractional CFO tends to be kind of expensive because of the specialized knowledge. And so that's why with my new business, I've done everything I can to automate that analysis process so that we can get people in for a lot less than you know, $350 an hour to do some advising. So through software mostly and through some training, we give people a way to have their numbers and not even just their numbers, but like graphs and charts and targets and so forth on a dashboard right in front of them. 
where they can say, oh, here's exactly where I'm at. Oh, can I hire somebody? I mean, it's at their fingertips. So my goal there, I guess, to overcome that nemesis is to automate as much as I can in that data analysis so that price of entry is a lot lower than it is yeah, more traditionally. Have a bigger impact, which is leads me to my next question, right? The flip side of your common enemy is your driving force, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. What is it that you're mm -hmm. fighting for in your company? What's your mission? It, so I don't have a mission statement per se. I probably should. But I think it honestly goes back to the kid really that I was when I started my first business. And if I had someone there saying, hey, just this, you know, change this, tweak this, tweak this, and you'll be all set. I want to see other people who were you know, in that situation I was, but then have someone whispering in the air saying, hey, you need to change this and then you'll be in really good shape. And like I, like I said earlier, it's just seeing someone make a good decision in their business based on information that I provided them. That's very gratifying, you know, to see my clients successful. It means I'm successful. Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I said, there's a lot of work to be done in the space of accounting in terms of like, of people view it, right. And view its power and actually growing a really good business. So I, I like where you're going and what you're doing. And hopefully you see more success in that area. So Thanks. I want to talk about your tool belt, right? You know, it's a practical portion of the show. Every superhero has their tool belts with their, you know, batarangs and web slingers and magical laser eyes or whatever, right? I want to talk about the top one or two tools you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything from your notepad you use for notes, could be your calendar, could be something you use for marketing, something you use for your product delivery or your project management. What is something we mm -hmm. do every single day that you think is essential to running your business? So I like Asana, as I mentioned earlier. It keeps me it just makes sure that I know what I need to do and what it needs to be done. And it includes instructions on how to do it. So I don't have to rethink every single process every time. So that's probably my number one. I'm thinking to the business that I just sold, to be honest with you, we used just some good time tracking software, but I'm not going to recommend it because I don't like that company. <laughs> oh, I, well, gosh, I don't know if I could recommend this one either. We use LastPass for passwords, because as an accountant, you have hundreds, maybe even thousands of passwords for multiple clients, but they just had a data breach. So who knows? Maybe that's not a great one. But so for me... Why project management at the top of your list? It goes back to the processes. That's when I started my first business that was profitable, okay? Not the window cleaning, but my first bookkeeping business. I was able to build that business because my processes were better. As one example, I went into a company, his part-time bookkeeper had quit. He called me and said, do you want to come and interview for this basically? And I went in and met with him and I said, tell you what, I will do it for the same price she was doing it for, but I can't sit in the office for 20 hours a week. Let me just come in, get the work done and get out. And he said, that's totally fine. We'll use you. And no kidding, most weeks I was in there for about three hours. And part of the secret to my success was because I knew I had this list of things I had to do on my you know, project management list. I would go in, I'd go boom, 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 and I was done and I would leave. And I wasn't sitting there for 17 more hours throughout the week trying to find something to make myself look busy or fill my time. It's like I just, I had a good system. Because bookkeeping took three hours a week, it didn't take 20 hours. So, and then you realize you can separate your work from your time and then start getting paid for the output. 
Yeah. And not only that, but I was able to increase what he got. Like I was able to give him reports that she wasn't giving him because of my specialized knowledge in that same amount of time. So when you can go in and charge the same and then add value on top of it, it's just kind of a slam dunk. Yeah, that's awesome. So project management for the win on that. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the Hero Show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro-celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. Talk a little bit about your own personal heroes, right? Every hero has their mentors. And it's like Frodo had Gandalf or Luke had Obi-Wan. Or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad or even Spider-Man had his uncle Ben. Who are some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who are a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you have accomplished so far? You know, it's crazy. I'm going to give you one. And I've read a lot of books. I've read some Kiyosaki. I've read Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich was a big book. The E-Myth by Michael Gerber is a good one. Real life hero though, I'll have to go a little personal on this one. I went on a mission for my church. And so what we do is we go out for two years and preach the gospel. And I was 19 when I left and I went to Brazil and two years in Brazil was the most growing experience I think I've ever had in my life. Hardest thing I've ever done. And each mission has a president, right? And it was actually my mission president as I was about to come home. He with me, you know, sits down with each missionary and gives them counsel and advice as they sort of start their adult life. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He gave you the context in Brazil. Often you'll see people with a wheelbarrow in the street full of yucca roots, kind of like a potato. And they just yell, it's called macaxeira, macaxeira, macaxeira. And people come out of their homes and buy macaxeira out of the wheelbarrow, right? Not a glamorous job, doesn't make very much money, but it's how some people made their living. And he said, I would rather sell macaxeira in the street out of a wheelbarrow than work for somebody else. And up to that point, I don't think I'd ever seriously considered, like seriously considered starting my own business. But when he said that, it just struck me like nothing I ever had. And so that's when I came home and I got a job, but I'm like, okay, I've got to figure out how to start a business. And that's when I started reading business books and looking for opportunities. And it's, you know, it's funny, he wasn't, 
you know, he didn't provide an example. I didn't really know much about his business life, but he was an important person in my life at the time. And for him to say those simple words, I just put that idea in my head and that was enough to change the whole course of my life. Yeah. I have a similar story. It's not missionary related. It's actually my dad. And I was looking at getting married. Uh-huh. I remember sitting down with him and asking him, I was like, dad, I don't know if I'm ready to get married, but I think I want to marry this girl. And he looks at me and he goes, if you wait until you're ready, you'll never do anything. <laughs> those, True. those couple of words changed the whole course of my life. And they still to this day are something I think about all the time. And mm-hmm. if you wait until you're ready, you'll never do anything because, and it's something I've learned over the course of time. He didn't say this, but because it's the act of doing that makes you ready to do things that makes you ready. So you, you yeah. have to actually get in motion and do things similar to changing a couple of words. Yeah. No, and I think it's, you know, I consider that when, because now that I've got some experience and I, you know, there's 20 year olds and 30 year olds maybe listening to this who are younger than me who might sit, think, oh, does he know everything? And is he, you know, I'm going to hang on every word uh, that it's hard, right? Like you've got to go through some stuff. Doesn't mean you have to fail a business. I don't think you have to, but don't go into it thinking three months down the road, you're going to be on a beach and someone else is running your multi-million dollar company. This doesn't work that way. And it's like, you were, one of the things I tell people now, because I was that 20 year old kid who was like, by the time I'm 25, I'll be rich and famous. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to run a business and I'm going to be successful. And what I realized over the course of 20 years doing this is that it is less, if it's worth doing, it's worth dedicating 10 years of your life to, hmm. at least, if not more, right? 10, 20 years of your life to, if it's worth doing, it's worth hmm. dedicating 10 years of your life to. And it's amazing how you can go from brand new to world-class in any area if you're willing to put 10 years of your life into it. It's true because most people aren't willing to do that. Most people, and by most, I mean the overwhelming majority of people are not willing to dedicate the time. They're not willing to do that thing you said earlier, to not give up. Yeah. You will not give up. You can become world-class. And that's not even like pulling your strings, like legitimately one of the best in the world at what you do. Um, yeah. And that's when you start to see the power in your business and your ability to grow systems and build things and get attention is when you become world-class. So. Yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Well, that leads me to my last and my favorite question, which is your guiding <laughs> principles, right? One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever puts them in Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up, Let's talk about the one or two principles you use regularly in your life. Maybe something you wish you had known when you failed your first business at 20. All right. Let me think of a couple here. <laughs> the first one is ethics, right? As an accountant, as a member of the IMA, ethics is huge. If people don't trust me, they're never going to give me insight into their numbers, right? They're not going to want to share with me. They're not going to want to give me access to their books, whatever. So one I have to be someone that somebody can trust. That's like what they call it table stakes, right? That's just to get started. But then two, and this is more for me personally, is just the idea of individual empowerment is I think every person has the control over their own life, their own destiny. And I read, I'll be honest, it frustrates me a little bit, Richard. I read too much economic news and it's very easy to find so many people who are complaining that their boss or their job is not fair to them. It's not helping them get to where they want to be. 
And I want to say, well, then just quit. Start your own business. Be the boss, right? That's what I did. And I don't know, maybe that's not very, you know, empathetic or whatever. But I don't understand where mentality in this country has gotten to where, well, maybe I do understand a little bit. Where we're in grade school, right? Like we can't even go to the bathroom without permission from a teacher, right? And that authoritative role stays with us up through, at least through the end of high school, where we have to rely on somebody else for our mobility, our freedom or whatever. And when we get into a job, I think a lot of us keep that mentality that there's this person who's an authority figure over me and I can only go as high or as far as they'll let me. And it drives me a little crazy that people think, hey, my boss is the one that's keeping me down. And that's not true at all. If you don't like your boss, you don't like your job, quit, do something else. There's no one keeping you there except yourself. It's like, if you don't like your job, change it. Change it. Leave to change it. I was like, if if you're the kind of person who shows up and is like, you know what? I can make this better. I could help improve the processes. I could change this. I could make this company more profitable if we did X, Y, Z. And then go do it. Don't even ask for permission. Just make it happen. Yeah. Because you know what, you're, they need more people who are willing to step up and do it. And you know what they do? They reward people who do that. And here's what's funny is people think, because I've seen this with the client that I still have. I had the same client for five and a half years. When I started, they needed a bookkeeper, right? They needed someone just to, their bookkeeper left in the middle of the night and they needed someone to pay the bills, invoice clients, run payroll, right? Just get the basics done. Within, I want to say like six months, they said, Nate, we want you to be like the CFO. Can you like give us a lot more time and fill this role of CFO? And what I see with a lot of entry-level people and even somewhat above entry-level is their biggest complaint is that they think there's no upward mobility. They feel like my boss has to leave the company for me to advance. And I want to say, no, if you become excellent at your craft, right? If you become world-class, like you said, uh, especially in small business, that's going to be recognized and they're going to do whatever it takes to hang on to you because they like what you do for the company. And if you're in a a 5,000 person company, sorry? You become unignorable. Oh, totally. If you're in a huge company with 5,000 people, you're totally ignorable. Even if you are world-class, you're just a tiny piece. In a small business, there is so much upward mobility and so quickly for people who are really good at what they do. So for me, getting back to your question, each person really is in control of their own destiny. If you're not happy where you are, get more education, gain more skills, watch a lot of YouTube that's going to train you, you know, whatever you got to do, you can control what happens next. Yeah, I love that. And it's something that I believe in deeply. I was like, if you want to, I said, I tell my kids this all the time that you're paid in direct proportion to the value you bring other people, mm-hmm. right? And so you're in control of one half of that equation. It's the value that you bring. So if paid in direct proportion to it, increase the value that you're bringing, right? With the skills, the knowledge, the willingness to show up, right? You know how hard right. it is for people to show up nowadays? As someone who hires people regularly, it's so hard to get people to just show up. And if you'll just show up, you're already, you're halfway through. No doubt. Oh. Yeah, it feels like you're on the same page with me. It seriously makes me infuriated when people complain about, you know, I'm not paid enough. I don't have, you know, again, my boss isn't doing enough for me. It's like there was a time when your boss would pay you to show up to work and that was it. And now we've got all these benefits and there's more coming all the time. 
And my boss was responsible for this and this and this in my life. Like, why don't you be responsible for your life? Anyway, that's, maybe that's over the top. It drives me crazy. That's a thing that we could be on our high horses for about for a while, I guess. Yeah, guiding principles show up, be the value you want to get in return, right? That's a good way to talk about that. And I think yeah. that's a good way to wrap our interview. But I do finish every interview with a simple challenge. I call it the hero's challenge. And I do this to help get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own because not everyone is out doing the podcast, you know, guest speaking like you and I might be doing. So the question yeah. is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network who you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? And I bet you do because of what you do. Who are yeah, they? Yeah, I probably know are. First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? The first, first person that comes to mind for you. Oh, crap. First... It's funny, two people came to mind. One is really good, and one would be like, here's how I drove my business to the ground. He wouldn't come on, I don't think. But a friend of mine named Adam, when it's all shared, it's this client that I still have. When I started with him five years ago, he and his business partner at the time, one of the first things they said to me was, Nate, we don't know anything about accounting. We need you to tell us what questions we should ask you so that we know how to run our business better. And I've never walked into a couple of people who were so humble and willing to do whatever it takes to make their business successful. Again, a lot of people in that space were like, they feel threatened by someone who might have skills that they don't have for some reason. And for them to just be like, tell us what we don't know. There's probably a lot we don't know. Please tell us all of it and we'll learn as we go. It was an amazing and refreshing client to work with because of that attitude. That's awesome. And hopefully we can get an introduction, get them on the show and hear their story. But like, I feel that like deep because that's like, when I think about accounting, I'm like, first off, I have almost no desire to learn accounting. But at the same time, like, there's so much I don't know that I know I need to know that like, that would be the first question I would ask is like, I don't know the questions to ask you. So tell me, like, what are the questions I need to know? to ask so I can ask them well. And because as a leader of the company, I need to know how to ask the good questions. <laughs> yeah. And... Well, I'll give you an example, right? I've gotten this question from a number of different sources, but like, okay, Nate, we made $100,000 this year and we have $10,000 in the bank account. So where's my money? Like, what? if we made all that money, where is it? And that's where most people start. It's like, I think we're profitable. The numbers say we're profitable, but it doesn't feel like it. And then working with those clients to help them understand the basics of understanding where the money goes and why it doesn't show up in their bank account, even though it's on the profit and loss statement. It's fun for me to educate the clients when they're ready for it. Awesome. Well, I love that. And hopefully we can get Adam to come on and tell his story. But, you know, in comic books, there's always the crowd of people at the end of the uh, end of the story that cheer and clap for their, for their work. So as we close, our analogous to that is where can people find you if they want your help? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak? And I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to actually flip the switch and say, hey, you know what, Nate, I would love to get you to come over and help us with our accounting. Oh, that's great. So my website is definitely the best place. It's zero to CFO.com. So it's all spelled out Z-E-R-O-T-O-C-F-O.com. And you can contact me there. You can actually book a call with me for free to kind of get started and see what we can, you know, what help you might need. The flagship product that we have is our automated data analysis. And the idea behind that is it just gives, again, this is what I talked about earlier, it gives people the access to their numbers in visual form, like in a chart all the time, right in front of them with some very detailed information that will suggest certain changes that they can make. Who would benefit from it? 
let me tell you who would not benefit from it. If you're just starting a business, you know, you're even in the idea stage, or you just started, you're the only employee, there's not a ton of complexity yet. The value of this kind of analysis really goes up with the more complexity. So when you get that first employee, when you get a little complexity in the business, you're going to find more value from a tool like this. So if you've got that first employer, maybe first couple even, I think it'd be worth a conversation at least. But yeah, what we'd love to do is you know, plug your accounting software into our tool, set up a dashboard for you, and then go through the dashboard with you to show you what it means, what it tells you. Here's how it's going to help you make decisions to make your business more profitable. So again, it's zero to CFO.com. And I enjoy talking with people about their businesses. So feel free to book a call. I think we're going to be in contact again before too long because I'm in the middle of an M&A on that stuff that I know that's one of the problems that we have. So I think we'll probably be talking more because I'm actively looking for people to help me solve that problem. (laughs) If you're in that same boat, right, and you're looking to figure out how to make your accounting work for you and return, create a return, I think it's a great place to start. So thank you, Nate, for coming on and sharing your story today. I really appreciate it. Do you have any final words of wisdom for my audience before we hit this stop record button? I would just say... Be true to yourself. There are a lot of times I was going to give up. And if you really know that being a business owner is where you should be, keep at it and you'll figure it out. Yeah. Never give up. Thank you very much, Nate. Appreciate it. Never give up. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Hero Show, where we work to shift the cultural narrative around entrepreneurship and celebrate the heropreneurs who make our world a better place. Don't forget to visit our website at theheroshow.tv where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. If you found value in our show, we'd truly appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or better yet, share it with a friend to help us spread the message of entrepreneurship as a force for good. Curious to learn more about the stories and insights of these incredible heropreneurs? Check out our in-depth interviews and resources on our website. Together, let's support and inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs as they embark on their own heroic journeys. Join us again next week for another episode of The Hero Show, where we'll continue to explore the world of heropreneurs, their superpowers, and the positive impact they bring to our lives. Until then, stay heroic.